Man, full house in the middle of summer. What an awesome morning. So the past two weeks, we have been, uh, last two weeks, I've been thinking and praying and thinking and praying about this passage of Scripture for this morning. Uh, We're six weeks into Words from the Hill as we are examining the Sermon on the Mount um, from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew Matthew chapter 7. Uh, We said at the beginning of summer, it's a summer series. Uh, We're going to make it through chapter 5 today. Uh, So we've gone six weeks and made it one chapter. There's two chapters left. We're probably not going to finish by the end of summer, um, just to give you the heads up. But last week we saw um, Jesus shift from verses 1 through 16. He's really building the framework for what it means to be a disciple to the followers. And then last week we see Jesus teaching his purpose and his mission when he says in verse 17, he says, For I do not think that I have come to abolish the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so as we're going to see this morning, this mission statement from Jesus is filled with action. And what I'd like to say this morning from the onset, it is a spiritual open heart surgery that Jesus is about to outline for the people that he's speaking to. Verses 21 through 48 are going to communicate some incredible teachings But the people there were used to something. They were used to the tip of the iceberg being talked about by the Pharisees and lived out by the scribes. But Jesus is going to dig deep. He's not going to let them stay on the surface. He's not going to let us stay on the surface. And so when Jesus digs deep, he's going to dig deep. With that said, let me say this. So as I was preparing for this week, I realized if you read ahead, you realize there's a couple topics. So we have children in our worship service. That's on purpose. We love teaching our children to worship. We want them in worship. But at times we come across topics such as adultery, lust, marriage, divorce, where I got to keep this PG, okay? I'm going to do my best to keep it PG. Cannot promise G, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I can't guarantee you that you won't have some lunch conversations um, over chips and salsa. Hopefully there won't be anything that you cannot explain to your children. Um, But the other thing I want to ask of you this morning is if you, for any reason, need to leave the room for an emergency, uh, restroom, an emergency other than the restroom, all right? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, If you're sitting somewhere other than the back this morning, if you leave the room to go take care of an emergency, I'm just going to ask you today, if when you come back in, if you'll just stay at the back of the room, um, because I don't want anybody walking forward, causing distractions, all those different things that take place in the service, because we're going to talk about some very weighty issues. And so if you could just help me um, to stay focused, I'm going to stay right here with my notes a little bit more than normal um, so that we can get through in a amount of time that the next service hasn't already begun, all right? Uh, so we're going to walk through this, but I'm also going to do my best to communicate with clarity, um, but also with authority this morning, uh, because there are some weighty issues that we do need to examine that are included in this text this morning. Now remember, just remember as we're walking through this, None of these topics and these things that Jesus is going to do open heart surgery on are the only times that Jesus addresses some of them. So this is not a complete teaching on marriage. This is not a complete teaching on divorce. This is not a complete teaching on lust this morning. It is in accordance with what Jesus is doing with them this morning. And so at times when I'm I'm out and about uh, during the week, somebody will say to me, Pastor, what are you going to preach on this week? And I'll just, every once in a while, I'll just say sin. And they'll kind of awkwardly, oh, <laughs> like I'm not sure what I'm supposed to say to that. This morning, we're talking about sin. 
All right, we're, we're going to talk about sin, and what I need to do this morning is set us up with an understanding across the board that we're functioning from the same place of what is sin. So if you have, here's the danger, if you and I have an incomplete view of sin, then you also have an incomplete view of redemption. And what I mean by that is if you have an incomplete view of sin, you, you, you've never thought about sin, never tackled sin, then the need for a Savior in Jesus is incomplete. Because if you don't realize the weight of sin, that the weight of our sin equals spiritual death, then you don't have and grasp the need for a Savior to pull you from that. And so this morning, I just want to give us a really brief um, explanation of sin this morning as we're going to walk through this before we even get to our passage this morning because we've got to have a view, correct view of sin this morning as we walk through this how many of you have ever shot at a target okay it's davidson county in the south the proper question should have been how many of you have not shot at a target right all right how many of you have shot at a target this is a question it's not rhetorical you can answer this out loud it's okay what is the goal? What do you want to hit when you shoot at a target? Bullseye. The bullseye. The bullseye. That is perfection, right in the middle of the bullseye. Did you know that the word sin comes from a word called hamartia? And it means to miss the mark. It means to miss the bullseye. And so when we're thinking of this this morning, the bullseye that we're going to see is perfection. And you're going, well, I'm out. Without Jesus Christ, you're exactly right. God is holy. He is perfect. There are times when we sin by committing things that we know are immoral, ungodly. Sometimes we commit those against someone else. Sometimes we commit those against our Lord. Things that we know that he is urging us, that his word is teaching us, that we commit a sin. We miss the mark then there's other times you sin. There's other times that I sin by things that we know that we should be doing that we do not do. God calls us to minister to someone, to offer forgiveness to someone, and we turn our backs on that. And we say, no, I'm not going to do that. We sin. We miss the mark. The Bible says, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no distinction, meaning there's no difference in me and you. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a payment in place of, by His blood to be received by faith. You need to know this this morning. You have sinned. You are going to sin. And by you, I'm including me in the picture, all right? This is not a preacher say it to you, doesn't include me. It includes me. But you are justified. You are made right in the standing, in the eyes of God, when God offered his son, Jesus Christ, as a payment for your sin. Without that payment, you would be separated from God for all eternity in hell. That's the payment of sin. That's the weight of missing the mark. And so as you weigh that to be heavy, also weigh how heavy it is that God offered his son for your sins. Make sure you have a complete view this morning of sin, 
and a complete view of the redemption of Jesus Christ. The problem is, culturally, we don't talk about sin anymore. There's a little feature you can do on Google. I don't know if you know this is out there. You can uh, research the etymology, the history of certain words and how they're used in literature. The word sin has all but disappeared over the last hundred years in our public writing. Newspapers, magazines, books, the word sin has completely disappeared. It's .002% of all written text include the word sin. It's absolutely disappearing. And here's why. Because sin is no longer sin. We justify our behavior according to what we determine to be okay, to pleasure ourselves, to please ourselves. And therefore, we say, that's not sin, that's, that's personal. Let me just say, sin is still sin, whether you call it sin or not. Sin is still true, and it is still biblical, and it is still truth. Even if you don't agree with me this morning is not, I will stand here this morning and say sin is sin. So why is this important? Because if you have an incomplete view of sin, and then we begin to infuse an incomplete view of Jesus in our hearts, then here's what you miss. You miss what the Pharisees are missing. They had lowered sin and separated sin in kind of categories. There's the public sin, and there's the private sin. The Pharisees only wanted to talk about the public sin. We're going to walk through this all morning this morning. It is easier to be religious than it is to be surrendered. It is easier to be religious than it is surrendered. And that's what the Pharisees had begun to make known as the religion of the day. Let's don't talk about sin except for the big ones. Let's leave the big ones out there, but anything underneath, let's leave that hidden. Those li- listening to Jesus were living in a culture, they were living in a religious system that had shifted their view of sin to simply do's and don'ts. It was no longer, as we sang this morning, it was no longer transforming their heart. So Jesus is going to do open heart surgery spiritually on his listeners. So last week we looked at anger as one of those illustrations of Jesus doing heart surgery. This morning, let's continue. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said. I gave you in your worship guide this morning. You can do this for homework later on. Just a kind of a chart of you have heard it said, but Jesus says, what's the teaching? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Now this is really interesting, all right? Because do you know what the payment for if someone was discovered to be in offense of committing the sin of adultery, do you know what the punishment was? Anybody? Stoning. Death. Make sure you understand 2018, stoning, and verse in that may be a little bit different, all right? Stoning meant that if someone was convicted of the sin of adultery, they were stoned to death. And so the people sitting on the hillside are going, well, those... Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, we got that. Nobody here that they've known about it is going to say anything because you're going to die. So you're not going to fess up to it here, and everybody else who has committed adultery is no longer here. You shall not commit adultery. Got it. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with his lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. I know what the dictionary says that the definition of adultery is. You can look it up later. But I believe Jesus' definition would include this. Adultery 
is abandoning a relationship or a covenant that you've made with someone emotionally, physically, spiritually, and giving that to someone else. Because it's an issue of the heart. Our world likes to deem that term as physical only. Adultery is viewed then and now by most as a physical act, but Jesus moves what? Below the surface, he says, looking with lustful intent. Here's the challenge for the listeners. Here's the challenge for us. They had grown accustomed through the religious system to know exactly, here's what they knew. They knew how close they could get to specific sins, adultery being one of them. As long as we don't step into that part of the relationship, we're okay. We can toe the line and we're okay. We can walk as close to this as possible without stepping into a big sin. As long as we don't step into a a big sin, as long as we don't commit adultery, then we're okay to kind of toe the line. They were asking the same question that we're asking 2,000 years later. How close can I get to the line without sinning? When does the text become a relationship without sinning? Get a little close to home. When does it become adulterous versus business casual, someone that I work with? If I can just toe the line, and pastor, if you can give me a line to follow, it'd be really helpful. Well, I'm giving you one. Jesus is. If you've committed lustful intentions in your heart, you're in the same place. Let's toe the line as close as we can, as long as we can toe this line. Up here on the stage, you can't see. There's a black line. I'm not sure what it's for. Oh, it's my box to keep me contained, right? And uh, so this is a little box up here. And so there's some piece of tape, and I'm standing on a line, and the Pharisees are saying, hey, as long as you toe the line, stay right here. Just keep asking, how close can I get? The question that we need to transition to, that Jesus was pushing them to, is not how close can I get to the line, but how far can I get away from the temptation or sin? How far can I remove myself from the situation? Not how close am I to a relationship, how close is this to adultery, but how far can I get from it? If we want to squelch adultery, let's step away from the line. And not just toe the line, let's jump away from it. And Jesus gives some very exaggerative examples Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. You think I get harsh. For it is better that you lose one of the members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. If this were the case, we'd be without hands, without feet, without lips, without eyes. Be an interesting look this morning, wouldn't it? And while I don't think that we need to literally cut off hands and feet, I do think we need to voluntarily take drastic measures. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't read that and say, well, Jesus, that's drastic. That's the point. In order to continue to live in freedom and grace, you got to take some drastic measures away from the line, away from the big sin you got to take some drastic measures to address the issues of the heart. Because I can promise you this, if we want to squelch 
lustful intentions. If we squelch lustful intentions, then we can tear down the walls of adultery. Adultery does not start in the bedroom. It begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. What feeds our heart? Our eyes, our ears, our thoughts, our habits. What are the things? What are the relationships? What are the habits leading us to stirring lustful emotions? Get rid of them, church. Get rid of them, pastor. Does it sound drastic? It is. It's less drastic than cutting off your hand or your feet. Get rid of it. We must rid ourselves of the things which cause us to sin because we are creating an insatiable, unquenchable desire for more. In our culture, it has created a desire and a system to just pour more and more and more lustful intentions and thoughts into our brain, into our hearts, into our minds, so we've got to take some drastic measure. Years ago, I went back and looked it up. Under Armour, some of you know Under Armour is they make athletic gear. They had a statement. Anybody want to tell me what the statement was? Protect? Oh, come on. Come on, you got teenagers in the room, all right, that are grown men now that that had t-shirts and said this. Protect this house. Protect this heart. Protect this heart. Take drastic measures to protect this heart. To gain freedom, to gain joy, to gain fulfillment of the law. Protect this heart. He goes on. And I was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I do not believe that this is a complete, all of the New Testament teaching on marriage or divorce. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew 19, speaks in Luke 16, the Old Testament. This is the beginning of this. Verse 31 is a direct reference to something that took place in Deuteronomy chapter 4 where Moses gives some certificates for divorce. But here's what happened. Sitting, on the Jesus, sitting with Jesus on the mountainside, there's followers, and there's a whole lot of people who are eager to hear from Jesus, and they knew, many of them, the Old Testament teaching. Moses gave permission and certificates of divorce, and what that led to was rampant permissiveness in their culture. And I'm not kidding. If a Jewish man did not like the way that his wife cooked, he could get a divorce. If a Jewish man woke up in the morning and realized his wife did not look the same as she did in her youth, he could just simply say, I want a divorce, I'm out. Now, he didn't look at the mirror at himself and realize he's not in high school either, right? But it had become so permissive and so easy that it had lowered the view of marriage and it had also lowered the view of divorce. One of my favorite Teachers says this, he says, to have a high view of marriage means you also have to have a high view of divorce. What do I mean by that? Jesus, his view of marriage means he also knows that there's going to be stipulations for men and women to pursue a divorce, not because it's required, not because it's the quick option, because there are examples of severe oppression, of abuse, of abandonment, of sexual perversion that have destroyed a covenant relationship. And there are many people in our culture that would preach that this is to keep, specifically even in Jesus' culture, uh, 
a woman would have to stay no matter what, no matter if there's abuse, no matter what the offense was. I think that is sinful teaching. He is saying be committed to each other no matter what. Be in a covenantal union no matter what. This is God's picture, but there are gross injustices. There is sexual immorality. There's abuse. It does happen. But only then, because of the hardness of heart, will God permit. And God outlined divorce for us. Jesus has a high view of marriage. He has a high view of divorce. Because if you lower the view of sin, then these things become rampant. Lust, viewing marriage as less than a high view of marriage, quick in, quick out. Jesus was once again addressing the heart beneath the surface that was impacting marriages. Jesus continues. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair black or white. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now let me back up to verse 34 and 35. He says, Do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or earth, for this is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head. And you're going, what in the world? We don't say that. No, but we'll say this. I promise you, my life depends on it. I've even heard somebody say, said, I think it was a joke, I swear by my mother's grave, right? I swear if it's the last thing that I ever do, You're just not saying by Jerusalem, right? That's their context. That's their language. But we make those statements. And Jesus is simply saying, quit making wild promises. Quit trying to justify what you're saying and simply say yes or no. Become a person that is known to be a person who says yes or no. Keep in mind, what is Jesus doing? He's trying to teach the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. He's raising the view of marriage. He's raising the view of extinguishing lust in the heart. He's raising the view of the integrity of the people. If we want to impact, one of the ways that we can impact our community with the grace of Jesus Christ is make a commitment and keep it. Tell someone when they ask you, will you keep a secret, and you say yes, keep the secret. They're asking you. It may be a non-believer, someone who's far from the Lord says, will you pray for me about this? And you say yes, then pray for them about this. You have convictions, and someone asks you to do something, say no. Let your yes be yes. And your no be no. Make a promise, do it. Say a time, be there. 
If you're not there, apologize. If you're not there the next time, then get a new way of keeping up your calendar. If you're not there the third time, get someone to drag you there on time, all right? Say yes or yes or no and no. These are ways that we impact people with the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the kingdom of heaven coming down to earth. This is called integrity. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I believe this is figurative. I don't believe this means to stand there and just get slapped back and forth. All right? If someone insults you, walk away. If someone accuses you and you and I, then let's go above and beyond to settle the matter. He gives some examples there that, again, textually and where he's teaching and how he's teaching makes sense. I'll try to make a little sense. He says, and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. What in the world is this guy talking about? If you were sued and you lost in AD 30 and you were sued for everything, then you would give your tunic and your cloak. And here's what the, the, the reference is. But if you were sued and you lost, at the end of the day, the person who won the lawsuit and took all of your stuff would be commanded to give you your cloak back because that was your bed. And so Jesus says, listen, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Let him have his bed. Let him take your bed. Just whatever. Take what you need to take. Go above and beyond the expectation of culture. Go above and beyond the legal system of the day. Too many times I hear followers of Jesus, myself included, abdicate our authority to the law of the day instead of the teaching of the word. And there are times that our payment back to someone that we have wronged is going to be greater than our legal system. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Again, Roman soldiers had, if they desired to, if they came up to you and you were Jewish, they were Roman, they could say, hey, will you carry my backpack for the next mile? You had to do it. And so Jesus says, hey, when they ask you to take it one mile, take it an extra mile. Keep on going. Go above the expectation. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. If someone retaliates or demands from you, give them more than they expect. Instead of retaliating, give back in abundance. Go above and beyond. You guys still with me? All right. A little bit more. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, here he is again, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let's pray and go home. All right? Just kidding. Keep going. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I believe rain there is not a negative that we would view rain as. We go, oh man, a rainy day is a bad day, but they live in a desert community, so he's sending good rain upon those who are just and unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I don't really need to give you a lot of interpretation here. 
it is easy to love people who love you. It's just easy to love those who extend love to you. It's difficult to love those who you would and they would consider themselves an enemy, someone who's stolen from you, someone who's taken from you, someone who's offended you, someone who's wronged you. Jesus says, hey, even a tax collector loves the people who love him. Let's raise the bar. Love those who you love and learn to love those that you don't. Love those that you already love and learn to love those that you don't. It's easy above and outwardly to love those who care for you and to love you. But challenge comes to learn those, to love those who may have negatively impacted your heart. At every social, physical, and emotional turn, Jesus is what? He's getting below the surface of the iceberg. 10% of the iceberg's above. The parts 90% does the damage. He's digging in below the surface. Every single one of these issues. And he is doing it to people who have lowered their view of sin. He's doing it to those who've made certain behaviors acceptable. And then there's this final phrase. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's encouraging. Does Jesus know the condition of your heart? Absolutely. Does Jesus know that we're going to fail and we're going to sin? Absolutely. But we are to strive every single day to be set apart from this world. Why? Because we know the gravity of sin and we know the picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. We, we know both of these things in our lives. We carry both of these things with us. Jesus, we stated last week, he's confronting sin, he's offering forgiveness, and he's preparing to transform the hearts of the people. Jesus knows the people in 30 AD are just like us. We like to classify ourselves. I don't know if you ever played any varsity sports in high school. Uh, JV, varsity, it was always a big deal. And what, you got bumped up to the, to the varsity team. Man, if you were in 10th grade and you made varsity, you were something. Most of us like to view ourselves as JV team centers. Like, I know somebody who's on the varsity team of sin. They know how to sin. He knew the Pharisees thought, man, we're JV. Those people that commit those offenses, man, they're varsity. They know exactly how to do it. But if we'll raise our view of sin, we'll raise our view of the cross, and we'll raise our view of the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. It all comes up when we raise the view, when we view the dangers payment of sin when we view the gift of jesus christ their savior we raise the view it raises the view and the bar of how we exist in culture how we exist to impact in our marriages in our lust in our thoughts in our anger in our retaliation it impacts every single piece of us because jesus knew the people listening to him that day knew it was a whole lot easier to be religious than surrendering it's easy to put on our face, drive in the parking lot on Sunday, put on our face again when we get to the parking lot, put it on again when we're walking up because the kids are still screaming, right? You're, you're changing the face every time you can, and we're putting on the face. It's easier to be religious than it is to be surrendered. Holy, 
and completely. It's easier to toe the line in our mind, in our heart, and say, you know what, man, there's, there's a line here, and as long as I don't step over that line, I'm okay. And this morning, we need to ask our question. It's easier to be religious than it is surrendered. Surrender means stepping away from that line and trusting Jesus to do open heart surgery all my life so that the kingdom of heaven can come down to this earth. This is fundamental, life-changing teaching from Jesus. I pray that it will confront you as it has me, that you will see forgiveness and freedom as it has me, and that it will transform you and your heart as it has mine. Let's pray this morning.